How many of you are wondering why these cantaloupes are up here? I'm not going to tell you yet. Right now, I want you to take your Bibles, though, and turn open, if you will, to the Gospel, no, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 20, chapter 20. Let me give you the context of this passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul has called a meeting for the spiritual leaders of a church located in a place called Ephesus. However, Paul's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and so he asks them to travel down and meet him at a port, the port of Miletus. And there he is going to share with them some really heavy and difficult news that it's going to be the last time that they will ever see each other face to face. We get to Paul's words in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. He says, And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, or which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. It's kind of a sad picture, isn't it? These people were like Paul's own children, spiritually speaking. I'm sure he led many of them to faith, discipled many of them in their journey and their walk with God. What would you say? What would you say if you knew you would never see your children again, your own kids, or those that you hold dear to yourself? Besides telling them that you love them and how much you're going to miss them, what words would you share with them to challenge them, to encourage them, to want to keep them faithful, honoring, and walking with God? Paul gives us the words that he wants his children, so to speak, to live by. And they're words inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know that they're words for us as well. If you boil down everything that Paul says, I think he really has two statements. And the first one is simply this. He wants us to grow in grace. He wants us to grow in grace. Notice what he said in the passage in Acts 20, verse 32. Would you read it aloud with me? Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart. 
Focus just for a moment on that phrase, word of his grace. What does he mean? I, what does he mean when he says, I, I am praying, I, I want you to grow in the word of his grace? He's talking about the gospel. In fact, he alludes to the gospel in verse 21 earlier in the passage. He says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and took our place so we could take his place. He became us. He became sin for us. He took our sins on himself. And he then gives us the gift of salvation. He exchanges so that we become like Jesus to God. We become perfect in God's sight, all based on what Christ has done for us. It has nothing to do with us. The Bible says nobody is saved by their own goodness, by their own works, by their own efforts. It is by what God has done for us alone. And God says, here's this gift. All you got is repent. And all you got to do is put faith in my son. Paul says, I want you to grow in that. In other words, what Paul's saying is, the gospel will make you more like Jesus. So the question becomes, how does the gospel make us more like Jesus? And there are lots of ways I could demonstrate. But in this passage of scripture, Paul says something that you don't expect. You won't expect it. I don't expect it. But he says, this is one of the greatest ways you grow in Christ. His second word is, grow in your generosity. If I understand the message of grace, if I understand the message of the gospel, which is a message of generosity, God's generosity, I, too, will grow into generosity. Remember that passage in verse 35? In everything I did, he said, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, say it with me, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's say it again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. <clears throat> in other words, evidence that Jesus is living in me, evidence that I'm truly surrendered to him, is that I become a generous person in every area of my life. Not just generous with my finances, but generous with my attitude, generous with my uh, time, generous with my gifts and my talents. Why is that? Because God is generous and God is living in me. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God or God's Spirit dwells in your midst? That is in your own midst? Romans 80 says that we've received the Spirit of God into our personal lives. So it doesn't matter who you are. If you've accepted Christ, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, your background, doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter our socioeconomic position, doesn't matter... Uh, how rich, how poor we are, it doesn't matter. All that matters that we have Christ in our life, then each one of us has the Spirit of God in us. It doesn't matter if you're healthy or unhealthy. The Spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer. And if I will surrender to his presence, which is the Christian journey from now till we get to heaven when we stand before the Lord, the more I surrender to him, the more generous I should become. But Paul says you can, you can grieve and quench the Spirit. You can push, so to speak, the Spirit down. You can insist on doing life your way, and we struggle with that. I struggle with that, right? So do you. But he says the more you give in to God, the more his presence, the more his generosity will flow out of you. And Paul said, I tried to set an example for you myself. He said, I didn't covet your gold, your silver, your fine clothes. Worked hard with my hands. He said, I, in other words, I wasn't greedy, which aligns so much with what Jesus said. Remember Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, he said, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Now, why does Jesus say, watch out? Because greed is the hardest thing for us to see in ourselves. Now, you can see it in other people, right? How many of you have no problem seeing sin in somebody else's life? So easy, isn't it? But it's hard to look in the mirror and say, that's true about me. And especially when it comes to to greed. Now, all of us would admit we're selfish to some degree. But it is hard for us to look in the mirror and say, I am by nature a greedy person. We just don't like to think of ourselves that way. I don't. I didn't until about, I don't know, about 10 years ago. And I really came to grips with just how greedy a person I am. I was running on some trails out in Illinois, and I was having a worship time with God while I was running. And I remember talking to God and just thanking God for his goodness to me. I I shared this story when I first came with you, but most of you have forgotten, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I can hardly remember my message last weekend. Um, And I was thanking God. I was thanking God for his goodness to me. I was thanking God for his goodness to my family, for his goodness to the church I was serving. Just having a wonderful time with God. And it, and it morphed from thanksgiving into a time of praise and, and, and a time of surrender. And I remember saying, God, I give you my mind, my will, my emotions, my body. I do this almost every day. And God, I give you my resources. And then God ambushed me. Have you ever been ambushed by God? Do you know I'm talking about where you think you have like put it all out there and then God opens up a secret door and he goes, what about that? Well, God opened up my sock drawer. And he said, what about that sock of cash you've got stashed away? Because I had a little sock of cash stashed away for when my grandkids come to visit. And uh, it was kind of funny money. I used it to take them out to McDonald's or pizza or go buy them something at the store or just do something special for them or take them someplace. Just love being able to do that for them. And, and, and God said, are you going to give that to me? Are you going to surrender that to me? And I know nobody else in this room has ever done this. But I started to argue with God. Have you ever done that? Now, here's how silly we can be sometimes. At least I can be. I found, have you ever done this thing where you think you're having a sidebar conversation with yourself and God's not listening? Right? Like, okay, I'll be back, God, just a minute. And you go meet with yourself. And I was like, I was meeting with myself and I'm like, look, I'm, you know, Marsh and I are tithers. Right? We, give, we give 10%, talks about 10% in the Old Testament. We give it to God uh, right away. I thought this was God's, and I thought this was mine. Like, God has my 10%. In fact, we give him more sometimes. Isn't God lucky? And, um, and I thought the money in the sock is like mine. And all of a sudden, I realized, what are you doing? You are arguing with God. You look how greedy and how selfish you are being. And I was overcome uh, because God would not let the finger off. I was overcome with my, I just thought, how can you be arguing with God about this? It's so obvious God wants the money in the sock. Why can't you let it go? Now, that was about the same time that one of my most favorite uh, 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 trilogy of movies was coming out, Lord of the Rings. First one was released in 2001. But Lord of the Ring fans, okay? And uh, they were coming out. And of course, you know that sinister little character, that hideous looking thing, Gollum, right? And you know, Gollum has been destroyed by, by his greed. And he wants that ring so badly. And what does he call the ring? What does he call it? 
my precious, right? Well, all of a sudden I get this vision of myself hanging on to my little dirty sock of cash going, my precious, my precious. And I thought, oh, how has this happened to me? It's gross. I just didn't believe I was so greedy at my core. Well, I had in some ways fallen into that idea that, you know, giving is proportional, that it's, it, you give God his part and you keep your part. And I'd always been taught, you know, it's 10%. I don't know if you were taught with that as well. And, you know, 10% is just one of the tithes in the Old Testament. Like, if you really want to be really biblical about it, it's over 21% if you include all the other tithes. Just interesting that we choose one of them, right? Well, what, what Jesus does, he comes along in the New Testament and he restructures the whole thing. And he says it's about generosity. It's not about what portion you give. It's about being generous. And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? All the melons, all, all, everything I have belongs to God. He's just asking me to hold it loosely and to be really generous with it. Jesus defines generosity in an in a incident that happened in the temple. He's with his disciples. And he points out a woman in the temple and he teaches them a lesson about, about giving. He teaches them a lesson about generosity. I want to read it to you from the message by Eugene Peterson, his paraphrase. Just then, he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate. Then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. He said, the plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. Now, can you imagine being the disciples listening to this? He said she just gave two pennies. I heard a whole lot more change falling out of those Pharisees' hands than two pennies, and you're saying she gave the largest? What's that all about? Jesus goes on, he says, all these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly, I love that word, she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. In other words, somehow this woman was overcome with the generosity of God. And she couldn't help but be generous. And she didn't cry and grieve and strain to let go of those two pennies. She could be so generous with God because she understands just how generous God himself is. Tim Keller, I talk about him a lot, like my favorite author. He's called the modern-day C.S. Lewis. Uh, shares a very important principle. It's helped me understand this relationship between generosity and motive. Let me explain it to you. He uses his own personal example. He says, you know, we effortlessly spend money on that which gives us the greatest sense of worth and value. And he's right. He says, for instance, he says, in my life, I can spend money effortlessly to buy books. He said, there's never been a book that I've seen that I haven't wanted to buy. His wife corrected him, cookbooks. Doesn't buy cookbooks. He says, the reason I love to buy books on any subjects, he, he says, because I love knowledge. I'm a teacher, preacher, he's a theologian. But he said, I'll be honest with you, he said, my worth and my value, by my sinful nature, I tend to draw it from people acknowledging my knowledge. People telling me how their books, my books help them. People telling me how my sermons help them. People quoting me. People talking about how, how what, you know, my ability to, to put it all together and kind of serve it out there blesses them. He says, it makes me feel like I have worth and value. He says, the wrong place to draw it from. But he says, I'm amazed how easily I'll spend money that way. He says, on the other hand, 
Keller says, I don't like to buy clothes. And if you see how he dresses, you'll understand. He draws no value and esteem from, from looks and clothes. Now I was thinking to myself, what is it that I can effortlessly spend money on? Well, one item is ice cream. But I can't say I draw much self-esteem and value from ice cream, just high cholesterol. I kept thinking about it. What is it that I, what is it that I, I try to buy my esteem from? And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm back to the dirty sock again. I love to spend money. It is effortless for me to spend money on my grandkids. I love to buy them what they want. I like to take them where they want to go. I like to ignore grandma's advice and everybody else's advice, their own parents' advice. I want to get them what they want. I want to be the big guy. I want them to all cheer when grandpa walks in because grandpa buys us and gives us whatever we want. I want to see the smiles on their face. I want to be the hero. I love it. It gives me a sense of esteem and value that my grandkids, you know, yay, grandpa. On the other hand, I hate buying tools. I have no joy buying tools. I, you know, a lot of guys enjoy going to Home Depot and Menards and, and those places. I hate it. It's like going to the de dentist. No offense to any dentists here. Uh, for me, I just don't want to go. That's because I'm lousy. I'm terrible at fixing things. I have tried. And my wife has to come in and redo it again. In fact, once I saw a truck in, in Illinois and I thought, that's my truck. And on the side of it were the words, we fix what your husband thought he could. Right? So, like, I get no value and no esteem out of it. I get shame out of it, but no value and esteem. How about you? How about you? What do you effortlessly spend money on that gives you value and esteem? Is it clothes? Got to be fashionable? Got to have the right handbag, right? Got to have the right look? Or is it, uh, is it um, house? Is it cars? Is it, um, is it getting your kids to the right college? Now, what is it that is so effortless because you draw your esteem and worth from that? Listen to what Jesus said. I love these words. We all know it so well. He says, for where your treasure is, finish it with me, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's, in other words, what Jesus is really saying here is, make me your treasure. If you make me your treasure, that's where your heart will be. And by the way, you know, I was thinking through this and I thought, you know, there might be some folks who say, Oh, man, this one didn't apply to me today because, because I effortlessly give money away. I am so, it's, it's effortless for me to be generous. Awesome. But here's my question. Does that feed your sense of significance? Because if it does, you're in the same boat, right? You're giving away to feel worth and value. Jesus says, I am your worth and value. That's why Paul says, go in the message, the message of grace, the gospel, Grow in what I've done for you that you can never buy, earn, and cannot do for yourself. Be satisfied with me. Be so freed by being satisfied with me that it's easy for you to be generous because it's me being generous through you. And so what happened was I finally went home with my dirty sock and prayed and said, God, I'm sorry for my attitude and my greediness. And I took that money and I thought of a couple that Marsha and I know of who had went through a terrible divorce, both got right with God, remarried each other, and now have a ministry. They're marriage missionaries going across the United States. God has done tremendous things to them. And I called them up, and I didn't say, hey, I want to give you some money. I said, God wants me to give this to you, and I just want you to use it. And I tell you what, that felt good. That felt good. And God's provided for me to be able to take my grandkids to McDonald's and all the other things. No problem, right? But it was the attitude. Is God stingy? Is God like, I gotta have that money? No. God says, I want your heart. 
say, why are you telling us all about this generosity stuff? Because we're coming up on the 75th anniversary of our church's history, Wooddale Church, and it's pretty exciting stuff. For 75 years, God has blessed and used Whitdale. The glory goes to him. But I tell you what, he said, generous, generous men and women to this very day through whom he's done tremendous things. You know, we started nine churches by God's grace over this time. They have started more churches. We partnered with hundreds of thousands of people in countries that you'll never visit, some places you don't even know about to get the gospel out and see hearts and lives change. Someday you're going to meet people. You're not even going to know who they are, and they're going to walk up to you in heaven, and they're going to say, thank you for being generous because you were generous. My village heard about Jesus Christ. Well, back in 2014, we shared with you kind of a new vision for our church. We call it Vision 22. It's a seven-year vision. It ends in the year 2022. And the vision went simply like this. We said our vision is to impart the hope of the gospel of 700,000 people here, near, and far and create clear path to spiritual maturity. I wanted to give you an update on that. It costs some money to do it. And uh, you made the pledges and we went after it. Here, locally, for instance, we moved all of our kids' ministries except the nursery at this point upstairs. And I don't know if you ever go in that direction, but isn't it fun to see all the activity over there? And those kids sitting on those thimbles spinning around, and some of you adults as well. It gets used all week long, especially in our weeknight programming. Wednesday night, it's Crazyville over there. It's so much fun. We upgraded our junior high room and made that an awesome space for our junior high students to have and to enjoy and to experience. We did something for our senior high students in the great room. We got some huge multimedia upgrades we did there. We got Lydia's now over here. Our cafe's going to go into full-time service next fall. We're seeing more and more of the community come in. We have a group of uh, small business owners that meet here every week, BNI, and they stay in network over there. Our academy's expanded to over 300 families. At Edina, it's expanded. We started a daycare program. We've done other kinds of remodeling, other kinds of ministry. We've been blessed here. Near Edina campus, Marsha and I were there a couple of weeks ago doing a marriage conference uh, one night like we did here. I'll tell you what, the place is overrun with little children and young couples. Seven, about seven years ago, uh, you know, the place was, was not in good shape. It was struggling. Pastor Gary came in and did a tremendous job of trying to get it place, you know, back fit again. And then uh, Kyle went in there, and my goodness, what has happened since then? Amazing over there. And we launched Loring Park. <laughs> Loring, Park is like, uh, Loring Park is like the book of Acts. The stories that come out of there of lives being changed, uh, miraculously changed. It is, it is absolutely amazing what God's doing there. We started with 75. We've got about 180 there now. And it's one of the very few churches in Minneapolis that its constituency comes from Minneapolis, not suburbans driving in and going back out. It is amazing what God's doing there. We're trying to find a, a fourth site. And so if you're watching online or you know somebody outside of Edina, Eden Prairie, Loring Park, that I would love to get together and start a multi-site, we'd love to talk to you. I don't care where it is, Rochester, Duluth, doesn't matter where it might be. If God leads us there, we'll do it. Because we want to see more and more outposts for Christ established across the Twin Cities and even beyond if God leads that way. We've also started what we call microsites. Just started one in Tower of Light. It's an um, adult living center in St. Louis Park. And on Sunday afternoons, they meet there, about 30 to 35. We've got a few more places like that are saying, please come. Your generosity makes that possible. 
on the FAR component since 2014, listen to this. By God's grace, we've been able to plant 3,500 churches. And a huge percentage, a huge percentage of those churches, a huge percentage are in Southeast Asia where less than 1% come to faith in Christ. That has been an amazing adventure of faith. I was just in Guatemala several weeks ago. We've been with Guatemalans for a long time. We've done a long history with them working with about a dozen pastors. Those dozen pastors invited about 80 other pastors to join them. We think it's going to explode. God is doing awesome things. We believe that we will hit 700,000 and go over it by the year 2022. God is doing awesome things, and it's because of your generosity. We said we want to have a clear pathway towards spiritual maturity. We had a whole series on it last January. We hired Brian Schulenberg, who was up here giving you the announcement. Brian told me that we now have 1,000 people actively involved in life groups. We've resurrected our one-to-one mentoring program. I'm confident under Brian's leadership that discipleship is just going to have a huge upswing here because not only do we want to reach people for Christ, we want to see them grow in the relationship with Christ. So there's the update. We're going to get there quicker than we thought we would. Why? Because of your willingness to be generous. And I thought to myself, I would just love to finish Before we get to our 75th anniversary in September, I would love for us to finish strong. We're 90% of the way funding that first part of the vision. We have 10% left to go. Many of you have been generous and have given to that. I thank you for it. If you could give more, that would be awesome. Some of you have just joined us and you're benefiting from it. Would you consider giving to that so that when we get to September, we're done? Do you want more questions about it? Out at door one, door two, there's some signs that say financial questions. Some of our elders and staff are there to answer what's left of the 10%, help you kind of get the information. You can do with it what you want after that. But if you'd be willing to do that, that would be huge. And here's why. Because the weekend after we celebrate 75 years, I'm going to share with you an exciting vision, another aspect of Vision 22 for the next 75 years. And it goes back to our statement. We're going to zero in on Vision 22. We're going to zero in on this word hope. What would it be like? Listen, Dale. Are you with me? What would it be like if we became epicenters of irresistible hope in the communities where we are present and where we're going? What would happen if those communities suddenly recognized that at Wooddale Church, you find hope? See, I can't speak for the other churches in the community. I'm not their pastor. I'm not going to stand before God on their behalf. So I'm not acting like we're a better church. I'm just simply saying, we got to deal with what God's given to us. What if we became an epicenter of irresistible hope in the Twin Cities? What if we went and stopped just talking about the gospel and both spoke it and demonstrated it? Not that we don't do it. We do lots of wonderful things. But we would like to find a few things that we do so well that people almost trip over it because we're so present in the community. So we have formed three teams at each campus, one here, one at Edina, one Loring Park. I've met with the mayors of Edina and uh, the mayor of Eden Prairie. I met with a councilwoman at, in Minneapolis. We've meeting with other school officials, some who are part of our own church. We're asking the community leaders, what is it our community needs right now? We don't want to get into politics, right? But we want to change lives. And to be honest with you, they kind of looked at us a little shocked at first. You're not asking us for something? You actually want to do something with us? You want to do something for the community? Huge smiles on their face. Let's talk about that. Not very many churches come and talk to us about that. So we're putting our ideas together. 
with a hope that we'll have a plan that we can come back as we ask you for your ideas for the community as well. And we say, this, this is where God's taking us for the next several years as part of Vision 22.2, so to speak. This is where we're going now. We're going to be these epicenters of hope. We're going to minister to the refugee, the immigrant, to the bullied, to the beleaguered, to the bereaved. We're going to come alongside the issue of opioid addiction, which exists here in Even Prairie. We're going to come alongside the seniors that can't afford to get into assisted living and to other environments. We're going to come along those who need help in job training. There's so many human resources available at Wooddale Church that we could bless the community with, all with the intention that they would see Jesus coming through us, that they would see the witness of Christ, and that would bring them then into a disciple relationship with us and with Christ. But we want to give God away in the most tangible ways. But in order for, do, for us to do that, we have to continue to be generous. And that takes me back to the cantaloupes. I'm going to talk oh, about, here's a big cantaloupe, all right? How many of you like cantaloupes? Yes, all right, good. All right, we like them too. So I'm going to cut this one open, and it's pretty ripe because it just cut really easy, all right? And um, here's what I like to do at home. We, we get our cantaloupe out, and I butcher it like that. And uh, then, then I stand over the garbage disposal or the wastebasket, and I get rid of what? What are those things called? Yes, I get rid of, of all the seeds. I get them out of there as much as I can. And what I like to do, now I feel like this is cooking with Dale. Um, <laughs> what, what I like to do at that point, after I get all those seeds out, okay, is put about three scoops of vanilla ice cream in there. All right? Okay. And not the light stuff, right? I'm talking about like Haagen-Dazs. I'm talking about real ice cream, okay? And then I do that, you know, and then I scoop it out. And then I put ice cream in there for Marsha. And I always put too much in there so I can eat hers as well, <laughs> all right? So it's a good thing, all right? And then, and then we enjoy. We enjoy. We enjoy the cantaloupe. But think about what I just wasted. I just wasted all of those seeds. Now, if I wanted to, I could take these seeds, and I know you can't see them, they're really small, and I could place them in a, in a specially prepared glass of water, let them sit for a while. The seeds that are dead, that are bad, will sink. The ones that are good and healthy will float. Take them out, dry them, go plant them in the dirt, and I can take, I can take the seeds of one of these melons, and I can create dozens more melons. But isn't that how we are sometimes? It's like we are consumers. This is for me. Instead of realizing, yes, God said enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God's given you. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm saying is when I just keep it, when I'm not generous with it, that's wrong. Think about God. God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mystery you can't understand. But in a sense, God opened himself. And God took the seed called his son. And he planted the seed in the womb of a teenage girl. And that seed was born nine months later, and he grew up to be a man, and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And then he said to everyone who comes to me, I'm going to put in them the seed of my spirit. And so then God multiplies his seed out into our lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Do you think God's done reproducing at that point? I don't. God's a reproducer. God expects us to be spiritual reproducers. And out of the presence and power of the Spirit, God expects us to be generous as well and reproduce in changing hearts and changing lives. I want to give you a taste, just a little taste, of how God has been at work through Wooddale Church 
these last several months changing hearts and lives. I want you to see the seed being multiplied. Watch this video, please. I am at Wooddale today because someone invited me and because someone decided to give. At first I came to Moms Connect for all the practical tips on raising children and working through the challenges of motherhood. However, I got much, much more. I got tips on marriage, self-care, which is really difficult for me. I found strong friendships and I learned about faith. So many answered prayers here new jobs, relying on Jesus and the Word to get through depression and psychological abuse. Because you give, God is at work in this incredible community. I'm Heather Fleece, the 7th through 9th grade pastor on the Eden Prairie campus. I get that when most people see 12 to 15 year olds, they run away, or at least want to. Not the junior high staff. We actually run to those students because we believe they're capable of so much more than most people give them credit for. We're able to communicate that belief to our students each week because of your faithfulness. Studies show that nearly half of today's American Christians made that decision before they were 13 years old. This important statistic is the reason why Wooddale Church has invested in reaching the next generation. Our kids are both our present and our future. Hey Wooddale, I'm Trent, our Loring Park campus pastor. Your generosity provided the means for us to launch a third Wooddale multi-site campus in downtown Minneapolis. Your giving has also enabled us to bring our campus vision to life at the Music Box, hosting public concerts and movies, open mic nights and performances by local schools like Hope Academy, all to build relationships, to show the love of Jesus, and to spread the hope of the gospel in our city. Wooddale, you're part of these amazing stories of the ways that God is working to make disciples and to change lives through being one church in multiple locations. Your giving matters. So I'd like to ask you to take out this little card. I'm not, I don't want you to turn it in. I just want you to take it out. It's for you to take home. I want to explain a couple of things. All we're asking you to do is become a generous giver. But you know, it all, always starts with small steps. So maybe you become an initial giver. You just, you just try giving and honoring God. And then maybe you move up to being a consistent giver. You do it on a regular basis. And then a proportional giver. Like Marsha and I, we use 10% as our base from the Old Testament. As one of those offerings, we say that's where we, we start. We always have, we've built on that. And then an extravagant giver, an extravagant giver. On the back are different ways that you can give because, you know, nowadays people don't necessarily write checks anymore. Some of you just have automatic withdrawal and other ways to give, and that's fine. But you can see the different ways. If you would like help in the area of budgeting and financing, we have a ministry called Financial Peace University to help people with that very area of budgets and getting their financial house in order. Out at door one where it says financial questions, we have some representatives from that ministry if you'd like to be part of that ministry, if you could help us with financial counseling, if you have a background in that, stop by the table and say, hey, if you need any help, I'm willing to help with that as well. And then finally, if you're willing to help us finish strong and uh, get that last 10% done before our 75th anniversary of September, stop at the tables where it says financial questions and get the details on that. A couple of years ago, a dear friend of mine, we were in Africa and uh, we were in Ghana. We have a global partner there, Sam Dunya, here at Wooddale Church. 
And we flew up, up to the north of Ghana, and I was supposed to speak to a village. And we got there that day, and uh, folks started coming in on buses and bicycles. Many of them walked from a long distance. Hot, dirty, little children walking around with the distended stomachs, worms, parasites. The water's filthy. They bathe in it. They wash their clothes in it, and they drink it. Sad situation. And we gathered under this huge tree to have worship. And uh, I wish you could hear them sing. Man, can they sing. And it was time for the offering, right? These are very, I mean, the poorest of the poor. And there's this trunk uh, left from a tree that had been there, and they set this kind of ornate basket on it. The young men began playing the drums, and uh, unlike I've ever heard drums play before, they were so good with their hands, different sized drums. There were a lot of children, there were a lot of women, there were some men there. And they began a, a procession, and they started going in circles around the basket. And while they would go around it, they would be dancing, they would be clapping, they'd be singing, and they'd put their two pennies in. And this went on for like a really long time. And everybody joined in, kicking the dust up and praising God, celebrating in their poverty, in their poverty, putting in their two pennies like the woman we read about. And I thought to myself, what does God see right now? How does God feel right now? And it struck me, God is so happy right now. They are giving away a huge offering to God. It's huge because it's coming out of nothing. It's all they have. They're being generous. And they're not doing it grudgingly. They're not doing it with tight fists. They're walking around. They're doing it. And they're dropping in whatever they can. I am sure there are some there that had nothing, but they still put their hand in there just to, because they want to be part of giving something. It was a beautiful expression of what it really means to give, what it means to worship God with our tithes and our offerings. And I thought for like about 30 seconds, wouldn't it be awesome if we put a basket up here and the band played and we all just kind of came up and, you know, danced around and put our offering in. And then I thought, this is in Africa. It's not going to work here. Some of you are like panicked right now. You're like, I'm out of here, man. This is this has gone too far, all right? I'm not going to do that. We're going to do our regular way of giving. And I know many of you have already given already in different ways. But still, at least let your heart, let your heart as you pass the plate by, let your heart be there in a sense of celebration and praise to God. It's an honor to give to God. Folks, this is an act of worship. This is an act of worship. Saying, God, you've been generous to us. We want to be generous back to you. So the team's going to lead us in a song. We're going to do our regular tithes and offerings. And then um, when you feel free and you're ready to stand up, just pour your heart out to God in praise and in music. And uh, don't run off, all right? Father, here we go. We're going to give you, like we do every Sunday, but perhaps with a different spirit, our offering. Many have already given, like Marsha and I, Lord, but we still, we're, you know, we're celebrating the opportunity we had to give to you. And God, just receive this from happy hearts and generous hearts. In Christ's name, amen.